Father in heaven, we thank you for this new day you've given to us. We want to thank you for seeing us through this week safely. And now as we come to study your word, we ask again for your Holy Spirit to please be with us, to guide and lead us, to teach us clearly that we might understand, to know how to apply these words to our lives. So give us that understanding and that wisdom now, Lord. We need it, even now, to teach us, to uplift us, to illumine our minds. We thank you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings to everybody out there. We are continuing our study on the King's series, and today we're going to be looking at a topic entitled Obedience versus Sacrifice. And you know, when Saul had disobeyed and, and Sam, disobeyed Samuel's instruction from God about sacrificing to God and waiting for him instead of him doing it himself. And when Samuel came and he gave him that pronouncement that because of this foolish act, he had, he, his kingdom would not continue. It's something very interesting that, you know, Saul, Samuel does not say that he had been rejected as king, but simply that the kingship would not be passed down to the next of kin in his lineage, his sons. This is what Samuel said to Saul. We read here in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So there was still hope for Saul as a king. It's just that his kingship would not be passed down to his sons and they would not rule as kings. His kingdom would not continue, but he was still king. And so Samuel comes now to Saul again with a directive from God. This is what God has to say to him. 1 Samuel 15 verses 1 to 3. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God wants Saul to wipe Amalek from off the face of the earth, to basically destroy them and wipe them out of existence. You see, the Amalek, the Amalekites, pardon me, have been the first ones to attack and wage war against the Israelites when they first came out of Egypt. We read about this in Exodus chapter 17. This was that time when Moses stood on a hill and he held up the rod of God and Joshua and the Israelites were fighting in the valley below. And when he held up the rod, they, they would win. But when he got tied and let it down, they would begin to lose. And so um, the brother and an elder, they came and stood there as he sat on a rock and held up the hand together. And they ultimately prevailed against the Amalekites. But this was the instruction that God would give to Moses to the Israelites just before he would pass away. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 19. 
Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of, the, of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. They would be blotted out of existence, and it was a clear direction from God. The time of their probation would eventually come to an end. And that instruction now was now coming to Saul through Samuel from God. God had given the Amalekites plenty of time, enough chances to change, to repent from their wicked ways. And when he saw that their wickedness would never change anymore, no matter how much time he would give them, then he gave this judgment to them. And the tool, the instrument that we used would be King Saul and the Israelites. And since Moses spoke those words in Deuteronomy up to the time that Samuel gives this command to Saul, it had already been 400 years. 400 years had passed already. God had given 400 years to the Amalekites to change. That was plenty of time. You see, friends, we must trust God and his judgment and his wisdom of those whom he chooses to close probation on, whom he chooses to allow to live longer. We just must know that God gives everyone more than enough chances to change and to repent. If we would dig deep enough into the lives of the people out there, we would see that God is just, that God has given everyone enough chances to come to repentance and to be saved. You see, friends, God does not delight in afflicting and punishing people. Yes, even though they might be wicked, they are still his children whom he died for. Yet, when we see all that judgment come upon them, God does not take great delight in punishing even the wicked. Look at this, Isaiah 28, 21. For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. You see, friends, when God has to stand up to punish one day, it is a strange work. It is a strange act. Why? Because God is all about giving life and not taking life. It is all about, he's all about creating and not destroying. And so this is something foreign to God. This is not something that he delights in. This is not something that he is used to. We continue to read also in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. The Bible says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not standing over the wicked at the end of time, pouring out hellfire and rejoicing in it and saying, I've waited for thousands of years to do this. No, the reason why God even now waits today is because he does not desire any to be lost, any to, to be destroyed. He wants everybody to repent. He wants everyone to turn from their wicked ways. Yes, God is a just God. Though he does not delight in vengeance, though he does not delight in destroying and 
taking men's and women's lives. He will and he must judge the wicked at the end of time. Why? For the sake of the righteous. For the sake of everybody. He must be he must be a just God. And especially he will take vengeance on those that are hardened in sin and refuse to turn from their wicked ways. And so we read in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. You see that, friends? God is merciful. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. And then it says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Friends, if we come to God and we repent and we ask Him to forgive us, He will forgive. But then it says, And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Friends, God is a merciful, a long-suffering, a forgiving God. When we come to Him, we can always have the assurance and the trust and the faith that if we confess our sins, He will forgive us. But if we refuse to confess, if we refuse to soften our hearts and open our hearts to Him, if we refuse to surrender to Him and ask Him to change our hearts and lives, He will be also a just God. He will not clear the guilty unless they show the fruits of repentance. And so friends, God had given these Amalekites plenty of chances to change. And now Saul, he has this directive from Samuel, from God, to go and to destroy them. What does Samuel instruct him to do though? Look at this very carefully. Let's come back to the story now. We go back to 1 Samuel 15 and now verses 7 to 9. What is the instruction from Samuel? And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to show that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But the Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. So the instruction was what? Destroy everything, not even the king. Nobody would be left alive, not even the livestock. But what does Saul do? He leaves King Agag alive. He spares his life. And not only that, the Bible also says that he took of the best of the sheep, the oxen, and all the other animals. So remember, everything should have been destroyed. All people, all animals. And so while Saul is celebrating the victory, he's marching towards home while the victory that, quote-unquote, God has given to him, God is communicating with Samuel. And Samuel was not in Saul's presence at this time. What does God say? 1 Samuel 15, verse 10-11. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. God came to Samuel, told him, I've seen what Saul has done. He did not follow my commandment, 
my command. And so God repented of making even Saul king now. And soon he was about to do something. He was going to do something about it rather. However, look at what God said to Samuel. He said that Saul had not performed his commandments. Any directive from God, friends, is a commandment, is an instruction. This is not merely referring just to the Ten Commandments, though, but any instruction from God. He cares that we obey Him even in the little things of life, little things such as destroying every person and destroying every single animal, not leaving anything alive. And yet Saul did not listen. And any transgression of God's word, of God's instruction, shows that our hearts are not loyal to him, that we are not faithful to him, that we do not trust him, that we think that we, we know better than God. You see, friends, in James chapter 4, verse 17, we have this other definition of sin. In 1 John, we're told that the sin is a transgression of the law. But here in James 4, 17, the Bible says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is not just simply a breaking of the Ten Commandments, but a disregard for anything good that we know that we ought to do. And friends, anything that God tells us to do, it must be good. I mean, we must have the faith to believe that first, right? But anything that God tells us, anything, even beyond the Ten Commandments, everything that is written in the Word of God, that must be good. There must be good in that. And when we disobey God's instruction, His word to us, the Bible says it is sin. So in the case of Saul, he had committed sin against God. And you know, Samuel, he truly loved Saul. He cried for him the whole night after God gave this judgment, the message to Samuel to give to Saul. He was probably interceding for him the whole night. But his prayers would not change God's judgment and decision against Saul. And so Samuel rises up early after he's been crying all night and he comes to Saul. Look at this, 1 Samuel 15, 12 to 13. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. What did Saul say to Samuel when he saw him coming? Blessed, blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Can you believe it? He was so caught up in his own self-deception that he truly believed that he had done exactly as the Lord commanded. But you see, what led Saul to this understanding? It's because he had victory. You see that? He had a physical victory over the enemy. And he thought, oh, God blessed me with this victory. God has blessed me until this time. And God has blessed me in this. And you know, sometimes, friends, we got to be so careful that we don't be self-deceived with the situations in our lives. That just because you close a business deal, just because you get 100% in your exam, it doesn't mean that God was the one that blessed you. You know, we might go against 
the clear direction of God. We might be cheating and get 100% and go, oh, praise God that I got 100%. It had nothing to do with God, you see. We got to be so careful that we don't take earthly circumstances, physical things that we see happen before our eyes, that just because it's a success in the eyes of the human, that God is in the midst of it. Because God was not in the midst of this victory. And when Samuel hears what Saul says, look at what he answers immediately. Look at this, 1 Samuel 15, 14. And Samuel said, What meaneth the bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the cattle which I hear? Obviously, the army had not gone to war and brought their own sheep and cows. This was clear, clearly the animals that were saved from the Amalekites. And so Samuel asked Saul, I hear the bleating of this sheep and this cattle. What is that? Because they had not probably brought cattle there to kill and to eat while they were in battle, right? So this was something that was not part of the army. Something that clearly was a question in, in a sense, why did you disobey? And so Saul, he's quick to reply. What is his reply? Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You know, two things that we have to take note here in Saul's reply to Samuel. First, he blamed the people and charged them with the sin of disobedience. He said it was the people that had decided to spare the best sheep and the best oxen. And we know that if, if the king had told the people to destroy all the animals, no one would have disregarded that order. I mean, we, we saw that in the previous study when he told the armies not to eat anything until the whole battle was over. No one dared to eat anything. They followed Saul's command. They were still respectful of him as a king. And so here, Saul, he, he tries to place the blame on someone else, on the people, instead of taking responsibility himself for that decision. What a gutless king. No courage to own up to his own decision, especially since it would have been under his direction that all these animals were, were saved. Secondly, he said that they had saved the best of the sheep and the oxen and all these animals to sacrifice to God. And though it sounded good and pious, it was not at all what God had asked them to do. They were all meant to be destroyed. God never asked for sacrifice. And friends, if there was any to sacrifice to celebrate the victory, it should have come from their own flocks. So what the people were doing were not trying to glorify God with the best of their spoils, but they were selfishly trying to save their own cattle from having to be used as sacrifice. You see, they were saving themselves a penny and a dime and a few dollars. I don't want to lose my own cattle, so let's take this and sacrifice it to God instead. So after hearing Saul's reply, what does Samuel say? Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 15, 16 to 19. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast not thou made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? 
And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? You see, Samuel comes out and reiterates the command very clearly from God to destroy the Amalekites until they were consumed and all the animals, and then asks a strong question. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? He was very clear. He said what you'd done was evil. But look at Saul's reply. 1 Samuel 15, 20 and 21. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. You see, Saul, he was obstinate in his disobedience, in his sin, in his course of action, and he stubbornly replied, saying that he had obeyed the voice of God. But his own words condemned him. He himself said that he saved King Agag alive, which was not at all the Lord's instruction. It was really more the, 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 the way of the world at that time. King Agag was a trophy of their warfare. This is the man whom we have overcome. Obviously, he could not do anything by himself. Everyone else of his people were dead. He was the only one left. And then on top of that, Saul tries again to blame the people. They were the ones, he says, that saved all the cattle and the sheep. They were the ones that wanted to sacrifice these animals to the Lord, you see. Saul was so blind to his actions that even when Samuel confronted him directly, that he was not willing to admit his fault, his rebellion. But nonetheless, God's decision had already been put in motion. Samuel was not coming to reason with Saul, hoping that something would change in his heart and change with God. No, the decision had been made already the night before. Judgment had already been set in motion. And so, this is what Samuel says. Verse 22 to 23 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubborn, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You know, first, Samuel reminds Saul that obedience is better than sacrifice. This is where we get the title of our study today. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God wanted Saul to obey his instruction first, destroy everything, both human and also animals. God didn't care that they were reserving the very best of the animals to sacrifice to him. Sure, that statement might have been true. They might have been the very best. It might have been better than any of the animals they themselves had. They might have been the most perfect animals on the whole earth. It did not matter to God. He wanted obedience first. So it was with Cain and Abel. Both of them at the very beginning, they came to worship God at the same altar. Both sacrificed to God and both probably sacrificed the best of what they had to God. 
Cain, he brought the fruits of the ground. It might have been perfect. It might have been the very best of his fruit. It might have been the first fruit. And Abel brought what? The blood sacrifice of sheep. And God rejected Cain's sacrifice because it wasn't according to his specification. Maybe Cain, he thought, hey, I'm bringing the best, right? I'm bringing the sweetest. I'm bringing the nicest, the largest. But the best, it was not good enough. It didn't matter to God. You see, God, he wanted a blood sacrifice. And God says, even to us today, to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want us just to work and work and gain all these millions by dishonesty and then give all this money to Him. No, obedience is what He treasures more. He doesn't, he doesn't see the, the greatness and the perfectness and the, 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 the amounts that we give Him. He wants us to obey first. God doesn't care that we might weep and cry all night for our sins. If we were obedient, we wouldn't have to weep and cry and confess our sins because we would not have sinned, you see. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul thought that saving the best of the animals would outweigh the disobedience that he had to God's instruction. He acted as if he knew better than God. So Samuel, he sternly uttered God's judgment. Saul had proven himself that he was not worthy of the position, but there's something else that I want to show you in this text here. It says there in verse 23, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, Saul, he was so stubborn in his position that even after Samuel came and spoke to him and spoke to him and kept going, Saul was just stubbornly refusing to listen, to change, to say he was wrong. He was just so stubborn in his rebellion. And that was the biggest problem. But upon hearing the denunciation that Samuel says at the very end here in verse 23, that he was rejected from being king, how does Saul respond? Verse 24 and 25. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Hard-hearted and stubborn all this time, but finally when he hears that he would no longer be king, his eyes are opened. He is now willing to humble himself in, in front of Samuel. But you know what? It's too late. Had Saul be really been repentant at the very beginning, maybe there might have been a chance, but he wasn't. And finally, he admits that he's transgressed the commandment of God, not because he really feels it in his heart, but because he treasures the fact that he has been king. He's made his position as king, a god in his own mind. He treasured that above anything else. But then he says what? He feared the people. He feared the, the, the people that were under him and he obeyed their voice still trying to find an excuse for his rebellion and disobedience. He made it sound like he was pressured into keeping these animals alive and King Agag alive. But yet he cries to Samuel for his sin to be pardoned, but he's not truly repentant. He has this shallow, worldly repentance, a worldly sorrow, because he treasures his kingship, which, he, which Samuel says he has now lost. 
You know, if Saul had truly repented and made a public confession in front of the whole army, maybe circumstances might have been different. But instead, he says what? He wanted Samuel to worship the Lord with him. Why? So that he could appear before the people as if God had approved his actions, that Samuel was standing with him on his side. He cared even in this point more for his own reputation as a king than for the actual wrong that he had done. But how does Samuel respond? 1 Samuel 15, 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Samuel reiterates the judgment from God. God has rejected Saul from being king. And and upon hearing this, how does Saul react? Let's keep reading, verse 27 to 29. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Saul, he tries to prevent Samuel from leaving and in doing so, he grabs his garment, but the garment rips off and Samuel uses that as an object lesson that the kingdom will be ripped away from him as well and given to someone else. And just to confirm that these words were true, he says that God, he is not like a man. He will not change his mind, even though he sees you maybe lying here and groveling here and maybe crying now. But God has made up his mind already. Saul has been rejected from being king and his kingdom would not remain in the family. God would not repent. He would not change his mind about this matter at all. He had decided and had been done. And even in the midst of this judgment, look at what Saul is thinking. He's he's confessed that he said he's sorry in some way, but look at how he reacts as as this situation continues to unfold. Look at what Saul says. 1 Samuel 15, 30 and 31. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Do you see that? I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Do you see that? He just wanted honor from Samuel. He wanted Samuel to approve his actions and congratulate him for what he had done for this victory somehow. Saul knew that Samuel's influence still reached much further than his alone. That even though the people had this king as their leader, they still looked up to Samuel as a greater leader than King Saul. And so Saul, he was still seeking honor for himself. He was still seeking to be uplifted and to be exalted in the eyes of the people. He didn't really care about changing and being sorry. But Samuel, eventually, he turns and yields to the king's request and worships God with him. But Samuel does something else. He doesn't just worship God alone. What else does he do? 1 Samuel 15, 32 and 33. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. 
Samuel had one last work to do for God and for Samuel, really, uh, Saul, that had been left undone. He brought judgment upon King Agag. He killed him, cut him to pieces. But, you know, it wasn't just simply finally executing the, the word of God. We don't see where they, they went and destroyed the animals as well, but he killed King Agag. Why? You know, even though he had stayed back at the request of Saul to worship God, and even though it seemed like he was standing with Saul, he really wasn't. In this act of killing King Agag, he showed God's disapproval for the decision that Saul made to leave this man alive. And so really, it was a public rebuke in front of everybody. Saul left this man alive. I'm killing him because Saul had disobeyed and gone against the command of God. You see that? It was a public rebuke for Saul in front of everybody. And so even though it seemed like he was staying back and he was honoring Saul and what he had done and worshiping God with them, he rebuked Saul without saying a single word through his action of killing King Agag. And then we read verse 34 and 35 of 1 Samuel 15. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house of Gibeah of, to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel would never see Saul again. But Samuel, he loved Saul like a son. He would still mourn for him until the day of his death. And even though God had rejected him from being king, he still loved him. But you see, friends, no matter how much other people pray for us, no matter how much other people intercede for us, not that we should stop interceding but or praying for other people, but, you know, Saul, he had his own decision to make as well. He had his own actions that he would have to account for as well. And no amount of prayers for other people would change his own life. You see, what was it that, got Saul rejected ultimately. It was his disobedience and his persistence in being wrong or thinking he was right and really in his wrongness. But really it was, he thought he knew better than God because he thought he was wiser than God. And no, no one would ever say that and admit it. But you know, his actions showed that. He thought that, oh, God said, destroy everything. I know better, I'm gonna leave the king alive. I'm going to leave the animals alive. He thought that he knew better than God. And this is what Samuel said to Saul earlier in 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast not thou made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee to be king? You know, when he first became king, when Saul was first anointed as king, Really, he was nowhere to be found. He was so scared. He was humble in his own sight. He was small in his own estimation. He relied heavily on God. He was so scared. And so he was willing to listen. He was willing to follow. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. But you see, as God gave him victories, as God strengthened him in his kingdom, the more that happened, the more Saul got proud. And he lost sight of God. He began to let go of his hold on God. And so it is with us sometimes when victories come into our life, when successes come into our life, when we're first starting out, we're very humble. We're willing to listen. But then as time goes on, 
as God gives us those victories, those successes. We, we look at a bank account and the money is getting bigger in there and um, the position that we have is getting higher. And then the position in church, we've, we've gone from a, a, just an a offering collector to a worship leader to now a deacon to now an elder, the highest position, unpaid position in the church. We, we think that everything is going right. And then we let pride creep in. And that is where many of us, we let go of our hold of God. Why? Because we think that we are something, someone important now, that surely God is with us. And we can get to the point, like Saul, thinking that we are wiser than God, that we don't need to pray to God anymore. We don't need to, we can cut a few corners here and there, but we've got to be so careful, friends. Yes, in all the commandments, but in all the instruction of God as well. It's a reminder for us today to continually to be humble, to have a constant check of ourselves, to not allow pride to get to our heads. This is why morning devotion is so important and to just have that pause so that we can commune with God and say, God, I realize that the successes that you give me is all attributed to you. Let us learn to always remain humble and to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him, no matter our position or rank, no matter how much we have in our bank accounts, that we can always remain humble and never let the success get to our heads, to not allow riches and rewards and position and honor to change us and to make us unfaithful to God, who is the giver of all the good blessings. To obey, friends, is always better than sacrifice. Let us be so careful in how we follow God in every little situation, every little instruction, every command of God, that even if we think we know better, even though we might have gone through this a hundred times, that we still be careful to follow every instruction of the Lord. Even if the research of the world seems to show that the Bible is contradictory to that and we're living in a modern age, it doesn't matter, friends. Let us always be true and faithful to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this is what Saul failed to do. But let us, let us learn to be faithful in everything from the smallest of things to the great things in life as well, that we might never outsmart God or think that we can, but that we would always be true to him, friends. For that means today, friends, We'd come back. We've got to come back to his word. We've got to sit at the feet of Jesus and always put ourselves in the position of a learner and to tell God, God, I don't know how to go in or to come out. I don't know any better. God, I'm just a small, small person in your eyes. I'm not but nothing. I'm just but dust. I'm just clay and water and that's it. But God, help me and help us to always be faithful to you. Let us learn to be faithful in these little things of life, friends, that we might always learn to put God in his word and his instruction and his command first place in our lives. No matter what we might think, no matter what people might say to us, no matter what happens or the ways of the world, that we might always put God's word first, always, ever. And so friends, let us be faithful to his word to the death that we might not ever think that we know better than God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, forgive us where we have put our own reasons, our own thinking, 
our own processes above your word. Help us, Lord, that we might not think that we're wiser than you, that just because we have human eyes to see and that you're not here and we cannot see you, that we think that we can do it our own way. But Father, please, even in this day and age that we live in, in this modern generation where we think that we're wiser than you in so many ways, help us, Lord, to always be true and faithful to you. Father, forgive us where we've walked our own ways, done our own things, said our own words. Help us, Lord, to come up higher and have just that simple faith, Lord, in your word, that as we believe, that not only will we be able to do it, but you're going to give us the power to do it because without you, Father, we can do nothing. So, Lord, please help us to apply in our lives all the words of, your, of the Bible that we know today. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the faith, give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us again today, friends. May God help us to be faithful in all things. For it is truly better always to obey than to sacrifice. May that be the words that will carry us in this next week. God, help us to obey. Give us the strength without you we can do nothing. May God bless you and see you next time, friends. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.